Welcome to Concussion Stories, a Life Yana podcast series filled with hope. I'm here to let you know that you are not alone in your concussion recovery. I'm Melanie, and I spent more than six years experimenting, training, and learning in order to heal myself from a very bad case of post-concussion syndrome. And today, I feel better than ever before. In Concussion Stories, we dig deep while discussing hopeful stories of recovery, as well as the hard stuff in the messy middle. If you're struggling to focus, be sure to take breaks. Down in the description of each episode, you can find a table of contents in case you want to skip ahead. Let's dive right in. Today, I'm so happy to speak with Andrew Maas. Andrew is Emeritus Professor of Neurosurgery at Antwerp University Hospital in Belgium, after also having been the head of the Department of Neurosurgery in that same hospital. He has also spent a big part of his career as a neurosurgeon at Erasmus MC in Rotterdam. Andrew is now retired, but he is still very active. He is the principal investigator of the Center TBI study, which is why I've gotten in touch with him. Center TBI is a large European research project that aims to improve the care for patients with traumatic brain injury. It is part of a larger global initiative with many research projects ongoing in Europe, the US, and Canada. Now, I know several of you have had bad experiences with specialists and hospitals, as did I. So believe me that I won't pass the mic to just any specialists on concussion stories. Andrew is involved in a lot of the most cutting-edge research being done on TBI at the moment. Studying his publications, it is my experience that Andrew is open to wherever findings may lead him, not afraid to simply point out the failings of a status quo that is no longer helpful. Those are traits I value, especially in a field that needs as much change as the medical field of TBI does. Let's hear Andrew Maas. Welcome to the Concussion Stories podcast, Andrew, and thank you for being here with us. Thanks. It's a pleasure to join you. Happy to contribute. I'm glad to hear. So even though you are officially retired, I um, really want to thank you for your time because you are not one for withering away on a beach somewhere. Am I right? Uh, right. And being retired doesn't mean doing nothing. In fact, I find myself just about as busy as always. How come? What are you spending your time on? Uh, I'm mostly spending my time on research, research into traumatic brain injury, TBI. I led a, and still leading actually, a large-scale project in Europe called Center TBI. I do that together with my colleague from Cambridge, David Menon, who is head of the intensive care there. And that's a large-scale project which was supported by the European Commission, one of the funding programs. It's like a small management business running a study like that. So can you tell a bit about um, uh, the Center TBI project? So um, how come it was so important what you were doing and what exactly were the things that you were hoping uh, to achieve and are still hoping to achieve? Because as I understand, it's ongoing. We can talk for a full day on that. I'll, I'll try and summarize in, in a couple of sentences. Traumatic brain injury 
many people don't realize it, but it is a substantial public health burden throughout the world. On a global perspective, the estimates are that about one out of every two people will suffer a TBI sometime during their lifetime. The total cost worldwide due to the injury itself and the indirect costs after that because of disability, etc., they amount to about 400 billion US dollars, which equates to about one dollar or one euro out of every 200 of the gross economic product. So it's a substantial problem from the, the global health perspective, but more in particular for the patients and their relatives who have suffered a TBI because many um, have long-lasting complaints. And actually, that was one of the things that came out of center TBI. We've learned that what was is still called mild TBI is, in fact, not so mild. Of patients who would meet the definitions for mild TBI, which is rated according to the level of consciousness, we found that approximately 50% do not reach full recovery by six months after injury. That is a tremendous amount. And if you look at other outcomes like health-related quality of life or post-concussion symptoms, and you include that in your scoring, then it's about two-thirds of the patients with mild TBI who still have complaints at six months. So the big message there is mild TBI is not so mild. And 90% of all TBI is mild TBI. So if we could make a difference there, that would be a tremendous advance. This is, um, thank you for acknowledging this. This is, it, it feels wonderful to me personally to hear this. Because um, you had a TBI. I had mild TBI and uh, I, I have felt um, like a bit of, how do you say that, the, the black sheep? I have felt mm -hmm. being weird, like doing something wrong myself because I was not recovering and there were no protocols for me. I, I fell outside the regular medical system. And, and in fact, you didn't only feel it, you were outside the regular medical system because they were not interested in you. Okay, well, normally I, 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 cho I don't choose my words that way, but if you say that way, yeah, it has felt that way, yes. Yeah, yeah. Indeed. And, and it, it's also, even within the mild TBI, um, many Patients will undergo CT scanning, so co computed tomography of the brain, to see if there's any damage. Um, most patients will show no abnormalities. And then medical professionals or kind of are inclined to say, well, you did not have a very serious TBI. Maybe you didn't even have a TBI at all. And when you get into litigation procedures, that becomes a problem because there's 
no objective evidence of having had a TBI. However, if we, um, we, we looked at MRI scans in patients with TBI and a normal CT scan when they presented to hospital, we find that 30% at uh, two to three weeks after injury show traumatic abnormalities on the MR scan. So a normal CT scan certainly does not mean no structural damage to the brain. No, I, I believe it's actually mostly performed in order to exclude more serious um, trauma like brain bleed, for example, right? Yes, that, that's the way medical professionals look at it. But when you get into insurance like business, they, they tend to say normal CP, no TBI. No. I believe this is one of the things that you have tried and are trying to do with sensor TBI, right? Um, you just mentioned all of these uh, very significant numbers, and I'm even shocked by the one in two persons will suffer TBI in their life. I didn't know that. Um, but what you were trying to do is for all of these people's, people uh, find way to, ways to better diagnose, find ways to better treat, right? Correct. What I gather from all this is a very patient-centered approach. Yes, I mean, it's the patient that matters. So what else do you want? <laughs> uh it's um this is this is what a lot of us believe of course but this is not what a lot of us get from the medical system uh, well i would speak for the netherlands of course uh, for myself um so it's really wonderful again to hear something like this coming back and especially from someone who is the expert because you have spent so much so many years on researching tbi and but, but that has a risk too that has a risk that because you've been in the field for so long, you are biased into certain dogmas. And that's something that I continuously fight against and kind of critically look at myself. Are you not too fixed on something? And uh, let's say using healthy scientific critique. Is this really true? Is this valid? How certain are we? Yes. You get all the data and from the data with the most open mind that you can imagine, you try to derive your conclusions. Correct. And yes, but yeah. of course, that's also where science, what science is for, right? You have peer reviews and you have so many other studies uh, following up on whatever you will find. I think the most important thing for us right now, for the concussion community even, is the awareness that you're creating and all of the uh, new information that we already know, but science hadn't uncovered before about the seriousness and the implications of brain injury. Yes, and that's so important um, because one of the things we've learned is that no matter how good your science is and how many scientific publications you produce out of a project, it is patients and patient organizations that can make a difference with policymakers. 
And that is one of the reasons why I'm so enthusiastic about what you are doing, because you are bringing patients together. And as an organization, as a group of patients, you can influence policymaking. Of course, people are looking for drugs, for newer agents, which can um, make post-concussion complaints less and things like that. That's important. But I think one of the lessons we are learning is that the structure of the care makes the biggest difference. That is highly relevant because we find that the majority of patients with so-called, I can't stop saying so-called because it is so-called mild TBI, they don't get any structured follow-up after discharge home. And in fact, we found that 90% of centers did not routinely schedule a follow-up appointment after discharge from the ER. And just under 50% did so after discharge from hospital. So patients are seen, they're evaluated accurately, but then they're sent into no man's land. Exactly. Without any care, um, maybe a message, go and see your general practitioner which many patients will not do. And even the GP doesn't really know what to ask for. And patients themselves don't always recognize the complaints in the early phase and become aware of them later on. It's, it, it feels like you are telling my own story to me. That's good. Yeah. So you have been listening, and I am not not so afraid of that bias of yours. <laughs> <laughs> it is indeed um, the struggle that I have been, um, um, how do you say, putting forward, spreading the message about so much. And um, it has to do with, indeed, um, no immediate appropriate, appropriate um, patient care for mild TBI, no. so-called. Um, but also aftercare, indeed, the advice of taking rest after a concussion, maybe for the first 24 to 48 hours may be important, but still that's being doubted so much in research as well. Yeah. And then after two years, especially for me, but I know it has been for others as well, the message from take rest, take it easy, um, make sure your brain isn't um, is in this space where it isn't stimulated too much so that it has the capacity to heal, the message turns and it becomes brain damage that has been going on for two years or more will not repair. And that's the message that in the end um, made me or I made myself lose hope of recovery. And that made me tumble into depression and in the end, I found that I had to make a choice because um, I didn't want to lead the life that doctors advised me to accept. And I chose that there had to be hope. And that's when I started looking and that's when my entire recovery started because there was hope. Um, uh, and I was finding it, for example, with researchers such, a, such as yourself. And um, 
I believe that you have once said that hope is as important as food in recovery. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I can't recall at what occasion that was, but it's like me to say that, yes. <laughs> yes. And having seen all the data that you have seen until now, um, what um, influence do you think that all of these more human aspects um, that could be inside the TBI treatment would have on, on patients and their recovery? Well, I think they could have a tremendous effect. Um, I don't know if I would call it human. I, I, to me, it's medical approach. Mm -hmm. But let's say compassionate approach, feeling for the patient. Um, no matter how good medical care in the hospital is, no matter what type of medical drug may come up at some point in time, to me, the, the simple but dedicated aftercare and a system to ensure that every single patient has access to that, that will make a difference. And in terms of improvement, I would see a few different dimensions. Um, the first, of course, is in, well, one of the dogmas, for example, um, which people believed up till a few years ago, brain cells, neurons, do not regenerate. Um, yes, they do. Stem cells can differentiate into new brain cells. We know that now. Um, brain tissue does not recover. Well, it can. And moreover, where there's a damaged part, the, the brain is hugely complex, but there are many connections. So other parts of the brain can take over certain functions from more damaged parts. That is part of improvement and of restoration of function. I believe you have also written something about TBI should not be viewed as an event. That's something that is a new paradigm as well. Am I right? Yes. Actually, it was one of my American colleagues who came up with that. Um, but it's, it's absolutely true. Um, and that, that was one of the dogmas that people believed in. It happens, and after that, you can recover or you don't, period. But we've learned that some patients can even deteriorate later on. So it's a process. And yes, there is a link between TBI and neurodegenerative diseases in, in later life, such as Parkinson's, such as amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, ALS, um, and other diseases, including dementia. So it, it's a process. And it can be a lifelong process. Fortunately, not in all patients, but in some, yes, it can. Yes, and I also don't want um, some of our listeners now to go um, uh, to, to get afraid of all of these diseases that you just mentioned. It's just that you're really um, 
um, um, exposing all of the links that are there and all the long-term effects. Correct. I mean, it's only a very small number of patients that will get that, but it is higher than in the general population. Exactly. And it, it goes to show that TBI never is just one moment and it the care especially should focus on um, long-term uh, improvement. Yeah. And then apart from that, let's say, biological improvement, um, coping with the problems is absolutely relevant. And coping does not mean doing nothing and going to bed and rest. To the contrary, it means accepting certain problems, working on them to improve them, but also while they're still present, how to best deal with them. And their professional advice can be a huge help. But yes. you need to give it to patients. Yes, exactly. And that's the part that I call human, you call medical, but that's the part. Um, it's the, the interface. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> we can call it uh, psychological, uh, whatever it is. It's um, it's it's the helping be deal with whatever is happening with you because a concussion or also other um, uh, versions of TBI influence your whole life because this is your the center of your whole life. And if it's broken, things it will... It is your you. It determines who you are. Exactly. And th this is also something that I have experienced uh, during my recovery, especially when I was experiencing depression, that I was grieving. I was grieving for the life I no longer had, for the dreams that I, I knew I couldn't achieve anymore. Now I don't want them anymore. But back then <laughs> I was grieving uh, in order to let in order to be able to let go, of course, and also um, of this life that others around me were living and I couldn't be a part of. And um, these are things that have to do with coping indeed. And once I learned better how to cope, um, I was able to move from, I would say in my, in my situation, more a situation of victimhood where I felt like something was I was enduring my injury passively into active things I could do because suddenly I felt in control of my emotional state. And that's what coping can do. Yes. One of the things you said a couple of minutes ago reminded me of what one of the patients once told me. Um, he had had a more severe injury or moderate, actually. But what he said uh, after a couple of months was when I look at myself in a mirror, it's like looking at myself in a broken mirror. And that to me phrased it so well. Uh, it's exactly as it is. Yeah. Yeah, that touches me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wanted to um, focus a bit on some specific um, um, quotes of yours because oh dear, what, oh dear. here we go <laughs> you have proofread them so <laughs> I know um, uh, I can read them out loud um, what stands out to me is beca uh, because what stands out to me um, reading your research 
is that if I may say so freely, is that you really don't beat around the bush. I am used to reading research and um, uh, researchers writing, for example, these results may affect, these results may have uh, implications and everything is a may. And uh, I think uh, in general, researchers are very um, prudent with their words, which is very important because of course, research takes a long time to be validated. And it's important to also be open, uh, coming back to the bias again, to other possibilities. But you don't seem to use these words so often. You also have uh, the capacity to make strong statements, in my opinion, if you feel that change is needed somewhere. That's explained. Uh, <laughs> I'm Dutch. <laughs> That's no excuse. <laughs> and Dutch can be fairly direct. They can be much more direct than, than other people. Uh, so I would say it's an inborn error of, I wouldn't say metabolism, but also. <laughs> Um, I would like to correct you because I don't think it's an error. <laughs> I believe, especially in a field like this, where so much change is needed, it's, well, at least um, highly appreciated by me. And I think it's also very important that we say the things like they are as, and also um, where, where protocols or dogmas or ideas or whatever don't suit us anymore that we make that explicit. Yeah, um, oh, I, I completely agree with that. And of course, I do build in some caveat where it is appropriate. But in general, if you are fairly confident of your data and confident of your conclusions, you can uh, make a much bigger difference if you phrase it in a slightly provocative way that'll capture people's attention. If you're very careful, it may be this, but we're not sure, it may also be that, people will not be interested. I agree. But then again, I'm also Dutch. <laughs> I would like to read some of your statements to our listeners because I think that this will help in their sense of acknowledgement in the process that they're going through. Um, so I'd like to do that right now. Yep. At the bedside, treatment strategies are generally based on guidelines that promote a one-size-fits-all approach and are insufficiently targeted to the needs of individual patients. Traumatic brain injury represents one of the greatest unmet needs in medicine and public health. TBI is not just an acute event, but can trigger a chronic process with progressive injury over hours, days, weeks, months, and even years. Research has greatly advanced our knowledge of the mechanisms involved. However, translating this research into patient benefit remains a challenge. One factor slowing down our understanding of traumatic brain injury is that our criteria to categorize traumatic brain injury are at best superficial or ill-defined and outdated. Well, oh, that's I, a direct statement for you. <laughs> that's, that's very direct. I, I want to 
thank you first uh, again for your work and also your advocating role because I believe you're not necessarily working uh, consciously as an advocate, but that is what it feels like to me and I believe to a lot of our listeners. Because well, glad to hear it, but let me say it's it's um, if we go back to Center TVI. Yes, I may be the coordinator together with David Mellon, but it's a large team. It's a team of over 40 scientific institutes involving nearly 200 scientists worldwide, um, the top scientists, and it's an entire team. So I wouldn't like to run away with all the laurels, etc. It's truly a team effort. Mm. And it's it's um, wonderful of you to acknowledge that because I believe so, of course. Yeah. Having heard these statements, are you? Um, can you share your vision about what you feel is most important uh, in the post-concussion or concussion care? Um, system the most important to me is that the patient has a fixed uh, point of contact to which he can not only go in case of problem but which serves to create um, a structured system where problems can be identified and intervention can be given early on. To me, that is the most important. And in current medical care, that is lacking. Yes. And then it's the, the, the doctor's perception, um, recognizing that mild TBI is not so mild, and the patient's perspective, recognizing that, yes, there may be complaints, yes, it can take some time, but chances are high that they can get better or you can at least deal with them and return to as normal or possible life. Yes. Um, by means of closing um, this uh, interview, I would like to quote you again, um, as well as one of my teachers, Dignat Ham. And you both describe something so natural and uh, so simple that it's often overlooked, especially, I believe, in the medical field of brain injury. So in one interview with The Lancet, you said, I once had a patient who said, I changed her life when all I had done was to listen to her troubles. It's an art many of our colleagues are forgetting. And Thich Han wrote, Compassionate listening brings about healing. When no one listens to us or understands us, we become like a bomb ready to explode. When someone listens to us compassionately, we feel some relief right away. Sometimes only 10 minutes of deep listening can transform us and bring back a smile to our lips. I want to thank you for dedicating your experience and your valuable insight with the TBI community and for spending your time with us. Pleasure. Now I would love to hear from you. What do you take away from this episode? Is there something that you can apply to your life right away? 
head on over to livejana.com and leave your comment now. And if you want to hear and read more concussion stories, actionable steps and inspiration, be sure to subscribe to the LiveYana email list while you're there so that you never miss out on new materials we constantly make for you. If you want to support this podcast, head on over to patreon.com slash concussion stories. Thank you for listening to this concussion stories episode by Liveyana. May you be well and may you be happy.